0: Hey guys, it's Adam. I wanted to talk to you really quick about Buzzsprout. Um, Buzzsprout's a place where you can get your own podcast launched, and you can start today for free. I recently started using Buzzsprout, and I gotta tell you, it's fantastic. I was moving my uh, podcast from one host to another, and I ran into a little bit of a snag, but guess what? Buzzsprout had me covered. They helped me out. They interacted with me over email. It was almost real-time chat, and they got my problem solved within minutes. So you can't pay for better tech support. I think the thing is, with most companies, if you get a good place that has good customer service and good support, you can't go wrong there. And they make it easy. It's not hard when you have the right partners like that and the right support like that. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed, and you can join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get your message out into the world. So really, all you need is a quiet place, some gear you already have. Like me, I'm using my phone right now and a, and a laptop, uh, and I'm getting this podcast out there. I'm recording this, uh, this promo. So follow the link in the show notes, and that's going to let Buzzsprout know that I sent you And if you sign up for a paid plan, it shows that you help support this podcast right here. I would really appreciate it. Hey, guys, thanks again and back to
1: the show. Hey, guys, it's Adam with another episode of the podcast. This is Casper Dog Training. And today's episode, we're going to talk about leash pressure Uh, communicating between dog handler and dog, what equipment can be used, how they can be used and, you know, uh, uses of them, uh, before we get going, don't forget in the show notes, you can go down to the link and go buy me a coffee. So buymeacoffee.com me forward slash Adam Casper, throw me a couple bucks for this free content that's out there. Also don't forget to check out my friends over at mission relief, NJ.com for the, the best in class, CBD products that uh, I've had. Uh, I use the muscle rub every day. My dog loves the agility chews. She actually plays with them. She buries them. She throws them in the air, pounces on them. Um, we have a nice little ritual with them because she sees it as a special reward. But being an older dog, I know it helps her with uh, some some uh, pain and, and joint issues. Um, also, she really does uh, like it because she is a Very active, smart dog. So it does calm her quite a bit. So, you know, definitely soothes the dog. And uh, I use it every day uh, myself. I use the tinctures. I use the the muscle rub for my neck and my shoulder and my lower back. And uh, I couldn't say enough good things about them. But when you go there and you buy something, don't forget, use coupon code CASPER for 20% off your order. That's for everything except for the bundles and gift sets. Um, but you also get free shipping, so don't forget, missionreliefnj.com, coupon code CASPER for your 20% off and your free shipping. Go there now, get some. So today's episode, leash pressure. Um, it's one near and dear to my heart. Um, I also want to go through the different types of equipment and how they can uh, impact leash pressure and and the understanding of the dog, how to release that pressure, um, and some techniques on how to do that. So first, of, first off, we're, we're going to talk about, uh, we'll start with equipment. And I'll define some of the equipment we'll refer to. I might not spend very much time on some of these. Some I might spend more time on, but you know, we'll see how this goes. One of the things everybody raises their hand up initially it is, is they wanna use a harness because they think it's the most humane for the dog, it's the gentlest, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, That's really, it depends on the dog, it depends on the owner, it depends on the harness, it depends on a lot. It depends on how distracted the dog is, it, it depends on how um, arousable the dog is to stimuli. So like, you know, a dog sees a squirrel, Does the, do they lose their mind or do they not care? Um, are they slow moving dog or are they like really super fast and super athletic? Are they really strong? Or are they really big? Or are they really small? Not every single um, piece of equipment is for every single dog. And I think that also has to do with shape, size, color, or whatever. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into whether you should decide to use a piece of equipment or not. But I'll agree that hands down, probably the safest leash, a uh, collar combination would be a harness, and a harness really isn't a, co- isn't a collar. But think of coll- uh, the, the, the uh, harness, rather, as the same thing you would use to hook up a horse to pull a carriage, or a donkey or a mule to pull a plow back you know a hundred something years ago it doesn't really impact the animal or impede the animal really in any way. It just makes it more difficult for the the dog or the animal to pull and pull something behind them. But what it acts on is what's called the opposition reflex. Now that's the same reflex as if you're standing face to face with somebody and they put their hand on your shoulder and try and shove you down. If they do that, and you resist, that's the opposition reflex. You're going to push back. So every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Your force, the, the, the force the, push, the person pushing, you're going to push your force against that, and you're going to oppose it. So that's a push for a push. Same thing for a pull. So if I'm walking and someone grabs my arm and they're pulling me behind, I'm going to drag forward because I want to go forward. Now to a dog, when, it, when they're hooked up to a, a, a harness, they don't see anything negative about that. And your bigger, more powerful dogs, like even take your golden retrievers and poodles and things like that. Gentle, sweet dogs may be very distractible, maybe very excitable, very aroused when they see people, places and things and other animals moving around. Um, maybe they have a hard time focusing and we want to be as gentle as possible because we love our dog. Well, this could put your dog in a lot of jeopardy, danger, because there is no consequences for pulling. The The dog will never feel like they're being corrected or discomfort in any way. Um, some dogs can kind of slip out of them, which is another unique thing that, I happen, that happened with my dog, the Belgian Malinois Alley. She just slid her shoulder out of it, ducked her head through, and she was gone and not wearing anything. So there was a minor heart attack one day. The, the harness never actually acts as any kind of marker to correct the, the dog. Now, I know there's some of you out there that's saying, yeah, but I can teach my dog to release pressure from, from a harness. And to those people, I say, good, do that. You don't have to go any further, but you have to make sure you're luring the dog. You have some sort of food and you can kind of keep the dog close by. And you have to really manage their attention really effectively to ensure that the harness isn't used for what it's really designed for, which is, Hey, drag whatever's behind you to wherever you want to go. So in the horse configuration, um, you have the harness that's pulling the carriage, but how do you steer the horse? In those instances, you you steer the horse by putting something around the dog's muzzle or their nose, right? And you use like a bridle, I think it's called. So you, Tug to the right and the the, the the horse's head turns to the right and you steer the dog that way. So that brings me to the next piece of equipment, which in in the canine world, um, some I believe most of them are called head halters. Uh, there's one called a, like a halty and another one called a gentle leader, at least in the US, um, very common brands. And they're very safe and they're very they're very effective for a lot of dogs. However, some dogs again, Super motivated, super distractible, super excitable. They hit the end of that thing, and all it does is it turns their head back towards where the leash pressure is coming from, from the human. But at that point, if the dog is just so dead set on going forward and away from the human and at the thing that they're they're excited by, they're just going to run forward, basically, basically spin 180 degrees, land on the ground, turn back into that turn again, hit the end of it, it's going to turn them back 180 degrees towards the handler, they'll basically kick their legs out, and they'll do it over and over again. Basically, the dog's going to be spinning in circles. And unless you're re- marking and rewarding that exact second that the dog, dog turns back and the leash pressure is completely off. So those two tools, they're, they're good, and you, you, you could use it for releasing the leash pressure and teaching the dog where you need them to be, and how the minimal amount of pressure feels better, you know, because you will reward it, you will praise, and it does feel differently to the dog. But as we take our journey through this and we start talking about the different equipment, you're going to start seeing that some of these things, some of these these collars, offer a little more feedback, and maybe you can get a response earlier, um, because the consequences, if the dog just plows through it, is definitely unpleasant for the dog and um, will stop the dog in their, in their tracks. And the next item I want to talk to you about the next piece of equipment is a Martingale collar, Martingale collar. Um, actually, let me rewind a flat collar, regular flat collar. You know, when you're using a flat collar with a dog, I'll go back to the uh, Martingale collar in a second. Excuse me. I had to get a little drink. Um, When you're using a flat collar with with a dog, that's another thing where the dog should be very sensitive and more motivated to pay attention to you, focus on you, than the thing that's distracting. And a lot of cases, if you're listening to this and you're trying to figure out, like, well, how do I manage leash pressure? How do I stop my dog from pulling? Um, Flat collar isn't going to give the right level of feedback because that is like me standing behind you With a leather belt and pulling back on your neck and naturally you're going to try and resist that you're going to try and get away from it and when the dog tries to escape that pressure when they're pulling away from you they're just applying more force to their neck but like the harness if the dog figures out that's just the cost of doing business if i want to go to that x mailbox and I just bear down. and I pull my human. and they drag them, kicking and screaming. And I get there, and I get to sniff on that, and I get to pee on that. Well, that's just how I do it. It's just, it just walks are hard. And when I when I wear my harness, that's how I get places. So, oh well, that's just what we got to deal with. Well, dogs learn that same thing with the flat collar too, and they choke themselves, and you hear them hacking and, and coughing all the way down the street. So you have to really be very careful. And, and to not damage the, the dog's windpipe, esophagus, and trachea by them just cramming themselves through it. And also, if you pull back on the dog at that point, you're exerting even more pressure. But it's a flat pressure right to the front of the neck where the dog can breathe. You can actually do lots and lots of damage to a dog this way. And you could do damage, even subtle damage, but wear and tear damage over time. So... You start off with an eight-week-old puppy, and you, use, you walk them on this type of leash, and they pull everywhere, every day, every walk, every time. Then two, three years down the road, that dog could have some damage going on to their neck, and, and you're caused, it's caused by the thing that most dogs wear all the time. You know, it's something that has their ID tag and their vaccination records and, you know, maybe their, their, their name. I mean, you're basically strangling the dog, or the dog's strangling themselves, and you can't get them to shut it off. Because it doesn't ever get any worse, it stays the same, but the injury gets worse over time. So I, I really don't like wearing it, my dog wearing a flat collar for the purposes of having the dog understand how to walk on the leash. So the, the next item, like I just mentioned, was uh, was the martingale, and the martingale is kind of it, it's the same material usually as a as a flat collar. So nylon um, could be you know. I think biothene another one and whatever that's called, um, leather. But it's usually attached uh, to two D-rings um, at the top of the dog's neck. And then there's a, a basically a triangle of like a chain length or more cloth. Usually it's chain links. And when the dog hits the end of this this perimeter for the, the martingale, it actually constricts the, the dog's neck. So it actually squeezes around the, the, the neck, but predominantly in the front because the flat collar is still in play. And it's not very thin. It's tend to be very broad, like three quarters of an inch to one inch thick. It's pretty thick. So a medium-sized dog, say under 50 pounds, you'd be using one of three quarters of an inch. You're going to be choking your dog. You, you could cut off the blood supply Absolutely, if you allow the pressure to stay on there and you don't teach the dog how to release it. And again, how the dog's going to release it is if you anchor your hand um using your leash on your stomach and you don't move it, the dog hits the end of that, and then you're able to recall the dog and lure the dog back to your, your heel position, slightly behind you on your left side, basically by your by your uh left uh thigh and and and, um, knee, dog being back there, you can reach down and reward the dog with food. You can praise the dog, give the dog affection. Now this is a process. So you have to teach the dog, you know, that perimeter. And you'll also just kind of do like, what I would recommend is you start off just kind of walking forward, stopping, let the dog just wander away. Hit the end of it, nice and gentle. If you're doing this in, in your, uh, on your property, like a fenced-in yard or something like that, or a garden, um, inside your house even. you know, Teaching the dog, hey, you hit the end of that, come back, get a treat, good girl, and, and get rewarded that way. The dog starts to figure out, okay, if I'm in this area, um, things are cool. But when I hit the end of that thing, I don't really like it. It's, I don't like it as much as anything else. And, and there is, again, a consequence. There's a boundary, and the dog starts to recognize this. Now, just like in life, when, um, when you're growing up and you start playing sports or something like that, a lot of your time is in clinics and practice and you're being coached and, and guided and honing your skills and starting to learn the rules of the game. But eventually... You're forced to compete or you have to compete. You have no idea if you're going to be a good tennis player unless you meet an opponent. You have no idea if you're going to be able to make the, the, the squad on the soccer team or in you know, Europe, the football team. You're not going to know if you're able to um, be a part of that unless you try out. And if you try out, you're going to be evaluated, and that's pressure. You're going to be competing against other people for these resources, for the spots on the team. So there is mental pressure there. There's also physical pressure because you have to exert yourself. So this is also what I'm talking about when it comes to leash pressure. The dog needs to understand that there's a a physical cost to this for me dragging the person to the next tree or, or fence post or something like that the less invasive it is, the less adversive it is, the harder it is for most dogs to understand that maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And most people don't know how to reward the good behavior and uh, persuade the dog not to do the bad behavior. So there's a bunch of different techniques you can do to turn your dog away from that um, using, uh, using a, a martingale collar. But the martingale collar, as it constricts, if you have a metal one, each one has a little click. So it's like click, 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 click as it gets tighter. And as it gets tighter, if you intervene and you're able to get the dog's attention, release the pressure, and what I mean by release the pressure, is your dog's walking slightly ahead of you and it starts to constrict and you don't want the dog to get full, full constriction. Say the dog's name, get the dog's attention, the dog turns to you And I would literally push my, my hand towards that dog's leash. I'm sorry, sorry, their collar so that the pressure is automatically released by me. I'm pushing it into the dog so that all of a sudden the leash has gone from tense and, and taut to loose. And as soon as it's loose, yes, good girl, reward, praise, affection. Have the dog understand it. So, Usually the dog starts to understand pretty quick that anytime they hear the the metal links, the click, that to release that, I just got to get closer. And when I get closer, it, it rains food, it rains affection, it rains attention and praise, and we get to go places. And there is freedom in respecting that boundary, having some discipline and staying near the human in face of distraction. But, you know, choke callers, they do a similar thing. So do slip leads. But in those instances, I would highly, highly recommend seeking out a professional dog trainer to help you understand how to release the leash pressure and make sure your timing is good when you're releasing it at the right moment and rewarding it at the right moment. Pretty critical. Oh, by the way, if you hear any snoring, that's, that's my dog, Allie. She's laying next to me, and she's really in REM sleep right now. You might be able to hear it. Of course. When I, when I want her to do it, she's not going to do it. But if you hear it in the background, that's her. Okay, so one of the other um, collars that I would st- I would use on a kind of standard dog um, would be a slip lead. And again, slip leads is are easy to, to deploy because it's all one piece of equipment. You do have to know how to fit it what position it should be in most of the time. You might have to readjust it several times on your walk, Um, but very effective. You know, when you walk around, you're walking forward down, down a street or a city block, and you stop and your dog keeps going, they hit the end of it, it tightens around their neck, and it usually the dog turns towards you, and when they do, mark and reward her give her the, give her affection give her praise give her food get her attention especially as soon as the the slightest bit of pressure comes off of the dog's neck when when that uh ring at the bottom of the uh slip lead falls down this is also relevant for the uh choke collars too so either metal choke collar or nylon choke collar you know kind of common things the other item to mention Very important housekeeping item. If you're going to be using a slip lead or a choke collar, you must understand there's a right way and a wrong way to use it and put it on. What I mean by this, if your dog is going to be healing on your left side, a standard heel that you would see in competition or be taught in any dog training school pretty much anywhere, if you want your dog to heel on your left, when you put the, the slip lead on them, the loop the top is you're going to put it over the dog's head and it has to look like the letter P like Peter. Then you'll fasten the um, I forget what that stopper close to the dog's neck high up underneath the dog's uh, jawbone below their ears. So it's really high up and it's fairly tight. So this gives you instant pressure when the dog hits the end of it. But if you do this in a non-distracting environment and just kind of walk, like almost like you're teaching the dog to dance. You walk a couple feet one way, you walk a couple feet another way, gently tug on it literally with fingertip pressure, not, nothing more than your index finger and your thumb, tugging the dog in, into a direction and luring them with food and rewarding them with the food as they follow your hand, as they follow moving towards the the. Source of the pressure, which means you and you, you moving your body away from the dog. As the dog gets closer, you continually reward, you continually praise. The dog will not be confused on how to shut off that leash pressure. Keep that up and then slowly work your way outside. Use, use it w- w- in controlled environments where you can eventually get into more distracting and more um, exciting situations for the dog in environments for the dog so that the the dog understands, well, I'm excited. And I ran to the end of this, this leash and I have to stop. When I release, it it feels great and I could still progress and I could still explore and I could still get closer. So it's great feedback and it's very quick communication. It's like, okay, stop. Don't do that. Come back here. Good girl. Yes. And using it responsibly again, seek out a professional dog trainer have them teach you how to use it. You can you can do this in one one lesson and that can actually parlay itself into a dog that knows how to walk on a leash with with uh no leash pressure. They're not pulling. So, moving on from the uh moving on from from the slip lead or choke collar, um as I mentioned, you're putting that over the dog's head when you're putting it on. If they're on the left side, it's a letter P. If the dog is going to heel on your right side, it's reversed. Why does this matter? Well, very simply, if it's reversed, so if it's the backwards letter P and the dog is healing on your left side, when the leash gets full extension and the collar portion of the slip lead or the choke lead goes to full tightness, when the dog releases the pressure and gets closer to you, it actually acts like a tourniquet, and it doesn't shut off the pressure because the the line itself that's wrapped around the dog's neck and the, the circle ring, whatever you want to call this, doesn't have the slack. It's also on top of where it needs to be. So when it's in the P configuration on the left side, that bottom um, loop where the line is fed through. When the pressure is released, that little brass ring falls like gravity takes over and falls and it shuts off the pressure pretty rapidly. But in some cases, depending on the dog's length of fur, it might catch. It might stay there, but it won't stay complete on pressure. If it's reversed, you literally do this. You put it, I usually put it around my wrist and I show a client you know, I pull, you know, when it's in the configuration of the P, I pull it you know, pull it as tight as I can, and then I release the pressure and you see the ring fall. And then you reverse it and you do the same exact thing, full extension, you drop the leash, literally just let go of it, and it stays as tight as it was when it was at full extension. Maybe backs off a little bit, but almost nothing changes. So that's where it gets a little risky. And it's also why, you know, they're frowned upon. You know, it's called a choke collar. You're gonna choke your dog when if they if they drag you down the street using this. Also, you're going to choke the dog if they're on the wrong side of your body and you don't have it configured right. So that's another thing where, from an education perspective, people don't know how to use these tools. And then they demonize them because people who are uneducated or straight up ignorant, they don't want to know anything about it. They just want to oh, stop the dog from moving. Uh, and I'm going to choke the dog. They do that. People do that. Now, I mean, I walked around with a dog for a while wearing a metal choke collar using that as his, his collar in a regular flat leash. And the dog would yank me down the street and pull and choke and stuff like that. And then I got a mentor that said, Hey, uh, you know, you got that wrong. And let me show you a little couple of things. All of a sudden I had a totally different dog. So like, if you hear that, that's, uh, the other dog that's in the room. Her name is rebel. And, um, Rebel complains when she's not getting paid attention to, but she's in place right now, so she's a little busy. But she gets a little cranky pants when, that, when uh, I'm not paying attention to her. Anyway, I digress. So, uh, actually, configuration is important. Um, positioning is important. What you do with your hand is important. When you mark and reward is super important. So then, you know, beyond those, those items, th- th- those pieces of equipment, Toe collars are are amazing tools, but for certain dogs, uh, for size, power, speed, excitability, that also speaks to every kind of different shape and size. I've known Dachshunds that need a prong collar. I've known Great Danes that use slip collars. I've known Belgian Malinois that use all of the above and then some including harnesses and head halters, <laughs> easy leaders, all of those things. You literally can use all those things for most dogs. But there's certain things like, you know, a short-faced dog, like like a French bulldog or, you know, a bulldog or something like that. There's no muzzle. So the, the gentle leader's out of the equation. Can't use that. Well, their necks are so big, so now all of a sudden, now choke collars, they're really not very meaningful. Flat collars don't do anything. Uh, harnesses just cause the dog to pull. So you're really running out of options. So let's just say in an instance you used a, a prong collar. Education is 1,000,000% the most important. You have to know how to use a prong collar. You also have to know um, how to shut off leash pressure when the dog's excited. So this is not for your amateur. This is not for, you know, hey, just go out and buy one put it on their neck and you're good to go that's the way they were sold for a while but you know uh, a hermspringer prong collar was designed by a veterinarian and uh, the concept behind the the prong collar is is that you have these these metal teeth that look like they're going to bite into the dog's neck well they're not really biting and they're doing something that's kind of interesting in comparison to a regular flat collar, which you'd think would be the most benign piece of equipment you own with your dog because the dog wears it all the time. Well, the, the flat collar will choke the dog from the front of their neck, and it'll, it'll only squeeze from the front of their neck to the back of their neck. And it's one, one point of pressure. It's coming straight forward into the dog's larynx, the, the esophagus, the voice box. Now, with a prong collar, it needs to be fitted properly. So, there's an excellent website that I can refer you guys to. It's called Leerberg, L-E-E-R-B-U-R-G dot com. If you Google right now, Leerberg prong collar, one of the first things that comes up, and if you look under images, the images are going to show you how it's supposed to be fitted. Okay? And how it's fitted is not normally what you see. Normally what you see a prong collar on a dog, it's fitted like a wrapper chain or like, you know, I grew up in the generation of the eighties and, uh, you know, Mr. T he wore like a hundred gold chains and they're all loose and hanging down on his neck and his chest. Now prong collar is actually up high underneath, like, like the slip lead I was just talking about right underneath there their um, jawbone underneath, just below their ear, very high up. One of the first images I find on uh, Leerberg.com about the prong collar or how to fit a prong collar is a yellow lab wearing two collars. One is the proper, um, and one's the the improper, where it's loose. And then there's another image of a Belgian Malinois that clearly looks like a working dog. And the prong collar is literally right underneath the jaw right underneath the ears. Also, um, Leerberg has an excellent description on sizing and for, for what prong you're supposed to use for what kind of dog. So one of the common misconceptions is, well, I got a big 160-pound dog. That must mean he needs the biggest, baddest prong. That's not always true. The length and the size of the prongs, for for the most part, not not 100%, but for the most part, has to do with the length of the dog's fur rather than the strength or size of the dog. So some dogs that have a very short coat don't need much as far as uh, size. They just need to feel the pressure. But getting to the whole point where I was saying that It was designed by a vet. Um, It's designed by by a vet for a reason. It's pretty humane when it's used properly. Now, I know there's a lot of people just, oh, forget it. Nope, nope, not not true. Yeah, true. It's true because when a magician lays down on a bed of nails, they don't come back with uh, puncture wounds. They don't. And there's a reason if they were to stand up, and just step on on the bed of nails, their feet would go straight through it. Well, Why is that? It's the distribution of weight across a surface area. So when you lay down on a bed of nails, you're not putting all of your weight on a specific point on the body. Like you are when you're wearing a flat collar. The dog's wearing a flat collar. Front part of the neck is getting 100% of the pressure. The heavier the dog, let's say a 100-pound yellow lab, he's pulling as as hard as he can. That's 100 pounds plus whatever you're pulling against and trying to drag the dog away. That's cruel, my friends. Sorry. It really is. It's not nice. A hermspringer prong collar constricts around the circumference of the dog's neck using small small, uh, points on it, but distributing the pressure around the circumference of the neck. So it's even, and it also doesn't hit one specific point. So your, your probability of injury, if you're using it correctly, or the dog is not really super wild, the so dog will re- understand and respect, oh my God, I hit a boundary. I shouldn't have gone there. Not because they're in pain, because all of a sudden it constricts around their whole neck. It's like you grabbing them and it'll startle them or at least get their attention. So this is another thing, condition the dog to use one of these things in your home when you're not going anywhere, where there are no squirrels running across the street, when there is no other dog in the next yard barking, and there's no delivery guy or kid on a bicycle whizzing past. When none of those things are present and the dog understands, I get closer to you, pressure goes off the leash, I get rewarded. Prong collars, my friends, I've, I've said this many times to clients. It's like putting power steering on your dog. If you're using it right, if it's fitted properly, if you know how to use it, you've been trained by a professional, or at least you've done your due diligence, you've done your homework, you've watched professionals do this, and you've slowly ramped up the distractions with your dog while using it, you're on board. You should. But a lot of these cases you'd use this for is for you know, a dog that really might be a little more reactive, um, might have a major impulse control problems. Um, but when you put one of these on, it's almost like the dog starts to, I mean, they really understand what this thing is. And they, if they get lots of rewards for staying close, that's where you can start shaping some really, really nice heel behavior. You know, uh, competition heel is very achievable and it does come by way of some sort of constriction around the dog's neck Varying different tools, you know, where it would exist, uh, this pressure would exist. But, guys, when you look at some of these images from, from Learburg, you're going to see that there's a lot of working dogs in there. You're going to see a lot of shepherds in there. But the difference between the prong where it's like the smaller size prong um, and, and a, uh, a large prong, those are some, some pretty substantial differences. you're going to notice, though, you got a German she- long-haired German Shepherd. They're going to have the big spikes. Same size German Shepherd with a medium to, to smaller or, or lighter coat. You're going to see the thin prongs. So it all depends. And, again, there's I would go to a professional and have them size it. I would have them fit it for you, show you how to put it on and take it off, show you how to um, initially imprint how the dog releases the pressure how they get rewards with this um, in a low distraction environment. Um, also, when it comes to a prong collar, I firmly believe there needs to be a backup collar. Now, prong collars, they're good on their own, but they're basically mechanical. They're they are links that fit together. They're metal. And in time, they're going to wear, just like anything else. You know, nothing on your car is meant to last forever. It eventually will wear it down. Elements will wear it down. Temperature will wear it down, repeated use, vibration, etc. It's all going to, to wear it down. So we have to have a backup collar. Usually I use a nylon choke collar. I'll measure the dog's neck. If the dog's neck is 14 inches, maybe I'll get a 15-inch uh, nylon uh, choke collar. And you attach the prong collar's D-ring to that um, uh, choke collar, and you're in business. So one fails, the other one takes over. No big deal. You know, last but not least is the e-collar. Now, for, these, for this conversation, it's not really relevant to talk about the e-collar as far as, like, dog pulling on the leash. But it can be mentioned that if the dog understands the prong collar, they understand how to release that pressure. And some of the ways we would condition a dog to all leash pressures, all of them across the board, would be um, there's pressure on when you give this dog a specific command, like sit. So when it comes to the harness, martingale, uh, gentle leader, um, martingale, yeah, uh, slip, slip lead, choke, prong. First and foremost, fingertip pressure inside with no distractions. Tell the dog to sit. Move the leash straight up so it goes tight. But again, using just your index finger and just your thumb pressure, pull the leash up and keep it tight until the dog sits. And as soon as the dog sits, say yes and drop the leash. So what you're doing is you're applying pressure and pulling up the dog sits and as soon as they do you release that pressure immediately and you mark and reward it so you go sit pull up dog's butt hits the floor yes drop a leash reward good girl praise food all right repeat this a million times the dog will start to understand every time you pull up on 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 the leash like this whether i'm wearing a harness whether i'm wearing a prong collar whether i'm wearing any 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 of those configurations dog understands that pressure means sit then the next one is pull straight down from the dog's neck underneath their chin, straight to the ground. Fingertip pressure. Again, index finger and thumb to the ground. The dog hits the ground, release it. Reward the dog further down. Repeat that. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit. You can also walk work in a stand there where you, you just draw the dog slightly to you from a sit position or from a down position. The dog stands up. You stop the dog using spatial pressure, don't let them go any further. And mark and reward them right then and there. If you're doing that, the dog's going to understand that, no matter what piece of equipment you, you use. But when distraction comes, that's when things like the chokes, the slips, and the prongs are going to do a much better job of communicating that. The e collar can be used in that same fashion, but you still need the, you still need the leash. And you should never, ever, ever attach uh, a leash to uh, an e collar. An E-collar, usually the way I think the configuration would be uh, for, let's say, a working dog. You know, you have prong collar up top underneath the the ears, right underneath the chin. Slightly below that, it's going to be the E-collar. Slightly below that, flat collar. Underneath that, yep, harness too. So you got, like, all this stuff. Where are you going to hook the leash? You know, depending on where you're going. I think that's what's relevant. Prong collar, I'm walking through a crowd. I want, I want my dog, you know, at, um, fingertip pressure, uh, control. I want my dog super on point with, with their heel. When I tell them to sit, I need them to sit immediately. When I tell them to down, they need to be right down, right in that spot. Well, you know, okay, we're doing something. We're searching for somebody. We're walking on a, on a trail. We don't need to be that accurate hook up to the harness. Okay, now we're walking in a park, and we're going to weave in and out of people every so and so often. Maybe there's a bike that goes by, or someone rollerblades by, or jogs by. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you you can use it uh, that that as well. So, wrapping all this up, prong collars do an excellent job giving giving pressure and releasing pressure with very, very little force. They must be used responsibly. They must be used under the guidance of some sort of professional. Even just listening to this isn't enough. I think you definitely got to go out and seek out somebody or or watch, you know, some of these videos. Go to Learburg.com. Do your research if you're going to use a prong collar or an e-collar. Go to a professional for sure. But the other things you can learn online there's a lot of good videos on Learburg, too, for, for dog training. So um, they also have a podcast you can, uh, you can reference. So to kind of wrap things up, the leash pressure itself, there's a physical consequence for the dog, the dog initiating leash pressure. When you uh, initiate pressure, when the, when the leash is completely loose and there's slack in your line, and you initiate the pressure, the dog will oppose that using the opposition reflex. Some of the uh, equipment we mentioned will not really give the dog any kind of feedback that will be perceived as negative or unpleasant in any way other than it's hard. It takes physical energy to resist against that. And I'm referring to harnesses there. Each of the collars going all the way up the progression, up to prong collars, have pressure and there's consequences to the dog's neck the dog understands it if you train it if you lure the dog and you're very specific so um in summary you really need help using these tools they should be done under guidance of a professional and you have to pick the right piece of equipment for the right dog even when it comes to you're selecting a specific you know you're going to use a prong collar but you don't know what gauge you're going to use. Are you going to use the 2.25 or are you going to use the other? I don't know. Well, you know, for your dog, I think it, weight, size, all of this matters. And using a backup collar with a prong collar is very important. Also, um, one one quick word on leashes. I get a lot of questions about leashes. And some people think, well, I got a nice... We have got a nice leash and it's got a bungee or an accordion kind of thing. So it won't hurt the dog when the dog gets to the end of it. It's nonsense. The dog needs to understand you're at the end of your rope. Stop. You don't need something that's going to try and slow or cushion the dog's response to that. That is an avoidance of reality and it's using the right tool. You're basically just trying to hide the problem by using some sort of equipment and praying it works. It never does. If the dog pulls on the leash and sees no consequence with it, and you add a leash that makes it easier for them to pull or more comfortable, if they do hit the end of it, the pressure is minimized. So it's actually muted even more. And I saw somebody using a harness and one of these bungee leashes, and it's just nonsense straight up. The dog hits the end of it and it just keeps going. And the harder they work, the more the leash stretches. So, if it's a 10-foot leash, the dog can potentially pull it to, like, 10 and a half, 11 feet. That's not good. The dog needs to know 10 feet is 10 feet, you know. If I'm walking blindfolded and you say it's, it's 11 steps to the end of the pier before you fall into the ocean, you know, and you miscount it and it's actually closer to, like, 9, I'm going in the water. That's not good. I could drown. So you gotta, you got to help your dog. Help your dog, communicate with your dog, and have the dog understand that. I don't want to use my, my shoulders, neck, biceps, and back to yank you into position. And that's no way to walk down the street. The only way we're going to get anywhere is we work together. I can lure you. I can show you where the positions are, but we're going to use equipment that will... um correct you or give you some sort of pressure and it'll exist until you shut it off so last thought on pulling up in the air with whatever uh configuration you have and then releasing the pressure if you pull up and you say sit and a dog doesn't sit keep the pressure on until that dog dog's butt hits the floor and as soon as you do again 100 of the leash pressure is gone it evaporates you drop it When you pull down, say down, and pull the dog down slightly and keep the pressure there until the dog's belly hits the floor. Then release it, mark and reward. So, guys, this is all I have for for today. I really appreciate you guys tuning in um, and continuing to support the podcast. Don't forget, uh, there's a link below, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Adam Casper. Check out missionreliefnj.com for CBD stuff. Coupon code CASPER for 20% off and free shipping, um, everything except those bundles. Uh, keep working, guys. I really do appreciate every last one of you. Uh, share, subscribe, and like the podcast. Thank you for listening. Take care.